Welcome to the Week Question and Learn program for December. This month, we'll take a short vacation from our regular interviews and broadcast the first hour of a special two-hour presentation written, produced, and narrated by Dr. Andrew Roth, featuring an educational and most entertaining program entitled A Caroling We Will Go. Part two of this holiday special will be broadcast next Sunday afternoon, December 10th at 4, here on WQLN-NPR. Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, and Season's Greetings. Welcome to A Caroling We Will Go. For the next two hours, we'll celebrate the sounds of the season exploring Christmas carols, their history and origin. We'll also hear many of the holiday season's greatest tunes. I'm Andrew Roth, a scholar in residence at the Jefferson Educational Society in Erie, Pennsylvania. St. Augustine says, A society's people are held together by the common objects of their love. For Americans, one of those common objects of their love is Christmas carols. Today, we'll discover the backstory of many of your favorite Christmas tunes, songs that sing a song of midwinter celebration. Did you know that several favorite Christmas songs were composed during California heat waves? Did you know that many favorite Christmas carols were composed by Jewish artists? Did you know that Jingle Bells was first sung as a song celebrating 19th century hot-rotting sleigh racers? In addition to enjoying the many sounds of the season's favorite songs, you'll discover the answers to those questions and many, many more today in A Caroling We Will Go. The American Tapestry Project seeks to understand the many threads of the many stories binding Americans into a common culture. In this special Christmas episode, we're going to examine one of the most successful efforts at common culture building in American history, the 19th century creation of the American Way of Christmas. In early America, Christmas was celebrated unevenly across the colonies and the states during the Union's early days. It began to dawn on some folks. One way to bind these newfound allies into a common culture was to create Eight days of celebration, American holidays. Thanksgiving was one, although it didn't come together as a national holiday rather than a New England regional event until after the Civil War. Obviously, the 4th of July was another, but Christmas was clearly the most successful. Transforming a slowly evolving, fragmented holiday observed irregularly across the land was the achievement of many, but five people were instrumental. Washington Irving, Clement Clark Moore, Charles Dickens, Sarah Josepha Hale, and Thomas Nast. In this musically rich, special Christmas episode of the American Tapestry, we'll listen to only one facet of that transformation, the development of American Christmas music, carols and songs singing of that, as Andy Williams sang, the most wonderful time of the year. The most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be a good cheer It's the most What are the original American Christmas carols? Who wrote them? What is their backstory? Where did this custom originate? What is a Christmas carol? Or, for that matter, what is a carol? Join us for the next two hours on the American Tapestry Project as we listen to and learn about the great American tradition of Christmas music. Let's A Caroling We Will Go. According to Etymology Online, carol has two meanings. 
As a noun, it means joyful song. As a verb, it means to dance in a ring. Thus, a carol is a joyful song, sung publicly while dancing in a ring or in a circle. It means to sing with joy. Carol's meaning as a hymn of Christian joy only dates from approximately 1500 CE, or once upon a time, that would have been called 1500 AD. In any event, the earliest Christmas hymns were church songs sung in Latin like the second century's Angel's Hymn, but after the Protestant Reformation, people wanted songs in their own language, songs they could sing as they adapted the ancient custom of public singing to Christmas carols. There were two kinds of carols, religious and festive. The religious carols were sung on Christmas Eve by bands of people called waits, because Christmas Eve was known as watch night or wait night. This practice gave rise to wassailing, as in the Christmas carol, Here we come a wassailing.
Wassail is a liquor for drinking and wishing health to others on festive occasions, especially, for example, on Christmas Eve and Twelfth Night. The custom came to America with the earliest settlers. Bands of singers go caroling, wassailing, door to door, either offering a drink or seeking a drink. It led to much revelry, so much, in fact, that from time to time, authorities sought to stamp it out. Among the oldest English carols are the 16th century Boar's Head Carol and the Coventry Carol. More familiar to Americans is almost certainly God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Christmas carols came to America in the early 19th century as Americans began to develop the American way of Christmas. What were the first American Christmas carols? Part of creating the American way of Christmas was encouraging Christmas music. Many American Protestant denominations opposed Christmas as at best a pagan custom and, at worst, a popish blasphemy. By the 1830s, they were relenting. As James H. Barnett said in his The American Christmas, as the evangelical Protestant denominations gradually accepted the observance of Christmas, they sought to develop appropriate religious services. Among America's earliest Christmas carols that have endured are O Little Town of Bethlehem, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, and We Three Kings of Orient Are. Festive Christmas and seasonal music also made its first appearance during this era. In 1857, J.P. Morgan's uncle, John Pierpont, wrote Jingle Bells. In 1863, Sarah Josepha Hale's Godey's Ladies Magazine published new music she claimed appropriate to the season, such as Christmas Chimes, Under the Mistletoe, and Kris Kringle. As Penny Restott says in Christmas in America, the Christmas songs Americans liked revealed a wholly American perspective. Simply arranged and heartily sung, the carols straightforwardly interpreted religious and secular sentiment. They transcended time and change and, characteristically, avoided the earthly issues of poverty, irreligion, or revelous high spirits. They sang to an American way of Christmas. Let's take a closer look at two, one religious and one festive. Our Little Town of Bethlehem was written by Episcopal priest Philip Brooks in 1868 based upon reflections he made after a trip to the Holy Land. Brooks was one of the most renowned preachers of his day. Inspired by his trip to the Holy Land, where he conducted a service at the Church of the Nativity, Brooks wrote a poem, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Annually, he composed a carol for Christmas services. In 1868, he asked church organist Louis H. Redner to set O Little Town of Bethlehem to music. The song became famous as the first great American Christmas carol, which bemused Brooks, who wrote in a letter, Where the newspapers found it all of a sudden, I do not know. Here is Nat King Cole's inimitable version. Still we see thee lie Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by 
Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. Oh, morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God our King and peace to men on earth. The two earliest non-religious festive American Christmas songs are Up on the Housetop and Jolly Old St. Nicholas. Jingle Bells is from the same era. It sheds a revealing light on the tangled complexities of mid-19th century American culture. As Americans sought to create a common culture, that culture was torn apart by a civil war to abolish slavery. Jingle Bells' creator, John Lord Pierpont, was the son of a Massachusetts abolitionist. He rebelled against his father, moved south, became a champion of the Confederacy, and an apologist for the post-war myth of the lost cause. More importantly, Jingle Bells was not written as a Christmas song. But in the North, it was adopted as a seasonal favorite to serve the cause of post-Civil War culture creation. Jingle Bells has two origin stories. First, it's said that Pierpont either composed a one-horse open sleigh, the song's original title, as a song for his abolitionist and Unitarian minister father's Thanksgiving Day service, Or, alternatively, as a Massachusetts historical marker asserts, he composed it at the town Simpson Tavern as a drinking song, celebrating the town's sleigh races. From the evidence, Jingle Bells was almost certainly written as a drinking song celebrating sleigh racing, sort of an early 19th century version of drag racing. It also celebrates youthful hijinks, teenage boys and girls together beyond their chaperone's reach, getting upsot in a snowbank. Upsot was a pun on upset with a sly insinuation that perhaps they'd had too much to drink. Doubting? Just listen to the lyrics. Not the familiar chorus, which for many people is the entire song, but the other stanzas, which are now often omitted. For example, A day or two ago I thought I'd take a ride, and soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank, misfortune seemed his lot. He got into a drifted bank, and we, we got upsot. Now the ground is white. Go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing this slaying song. Regardless of all of that, Jingle Bells has become a Christmas classic floating free of its convoluted origin story. Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters' 1943 recording of Jingle Bells ranks as its best-selling version, with over a million copies sold during that World War II year alone. (laughs) 
bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun to ride and sing in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. All oh, what fun to ride and sing. A slaying song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! Oh, we have a lot of fun. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! What's your favorite Christmas movie song? There are literally dozens. It's a long list. It contains such obvious choices as Judy Garland singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas in 1944's Meet Me in St. Louis, Silver Bells, sung by Bob Hope and Marilyn Maxwell in 1951's Otherwise Forgettable, The Lemon Drop Kid, Josh Groban, singing Believe in 2004's Polar Express. Two from the Home Alone franchise make most lists. They are Somewhere in My Memory from Home Alone and All Alone on Christmas from Home Alone 2. Numerous lists ache to be all courant with up-to-date tunes everyone's already forgotten. But even in the trendiest list, two always appear near the top. Judy Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas from Meet Me in St. Louis, and, of course, Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas from 1942's Holiday Inn. On many lists, ranked as the number one Christmas movie song of all time, Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and Meet Me in St. Louis were one of 1944's two biggest hits. It was number two. Bing Crosby's Going My Way topped the list. Meet Me in St. Louis, like Crosby's Holiday Inn, was a holiday movie with a classic girl meets boy, girl loses boy, girl gets boy back again plot. In Holiday Inn, the genders are reversed. Written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine, 
Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas's original lyrics were considered too depressing for a holiday film. They sang of people parting, never to see one another again. Who actually changed the lyrics is still debated, but Garland and her director, Vincenti Minnelli, argued for changing, It may be your last, Christmas, it may be your last, next year we may all be living in the past. They changed it to, Let your heart be light, next year all our troubles will be out of sight. In the film, Garland sings the song to her little sister as the family prepares to move away from home. With a respectful nod to Judy Garland, the most popular Christmas movie song remains Irving Berlin's White Christmas. In fact, it is the best-selling single of all time. Bing Crosby's version alone has sold over 31 million copies. White Christmas debuted on Crosby's Kraft Music Hall radio show on Christmas Day 1941. It then reappeared in 1942's Holiday Inn. The film features the usual boy-meets-loses-wins-girl plot, which, in Holiday Inn, unfolds at a Connecticut farm transformed into an inn which celebrates each of the year's holidays with a song and dance review. White Christmas's success came as a surprise to Berlin, who thought the tune he wrote for Valentine's Day, Be Careful, It's My Heart, that would be the one moviegoers left the theater humming. White Christmas won Berlin's only Oscar, 
Its immense popularity grew even more after the 1954 release of the film White Christmas, a movie loosely based on Holiday Inn. Unlike most Christmas songs, White Christmas is a sad song. Its singer, far from home, yearns for a Christmas just like the ones I used to know. White Christmas's pathos springs from two sources. Note the dates of its first performance in the movie's release. Crosby sang it on the radio a mere two weeks after Pearl Harbor. It was a December of gloom, as everyone intuited the coming storm. It also spoke metaphorically of Berlin's own loss. The exact date of its composition is unknown. What is known is that Berlin's infant, three-week-old son died on December 25, 1928. Every year thereafter, Berlin and his wife visited their son's grave on Christmas Day. For Irving Berlin, Christmas Day was a day of sorrow.
one of America's greatest songwriters. In addition to White Christmas, Easter Parade, and God Bless America, Irving Berlin composed many of America's most famous songs. Songs like A Pretty Girl is a Melody, Alexander's Ragtime Band, Always, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better, and That's Just the A's. Born in Russia, Berlin immigrated to America with his parents in 1893. With a knack for music, he began as a street singer. He quickly found success, publishing his first song in 1907 and, in 1911, his first hit, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Berlin's family of Russian Jews was part of that massive immigration between 1880 and 1915, that massive immigration into the United States of new Americans from Southern and Eastern Europe. As we detailed in Episode 6, The American Tapestry Project's Immigrant's Tale, waves of Christian and Jewish immigrants, including Italians, Greeks, Poles, Hungarians, and others from throughout the Balkans, much to the chagrin of nativist bigots, well, those immigrants, they transformed American culture. One of the greatest transformations was in entertainment and popular music. Many Jewish immigrants were attracted to America's music industry. As Michael Feinstein observed, in the first half of the 20th century, Jews flocked to the music industry. It was one business where they didn't face overwhelming anti-Semitism. But one of the types of songs they composed were Christmas songs. Why? Well, it's where the opportunities were, but, more importantly, it was a portal into American culture, an avenue of assimilation. Maddie Albert, in her essay, 11 Iconic Christmas Songs That Were Written by Jews, Maddie Albert quotes Rabbi Kenneth Kantner of the Hebrew Union College, who said that Jewish musicians embracing Christian music helped them assimilate into America's dominant Christian culture. It was a form of Jewish patriotism. These songs made Christmas a kind of national celebration, almost a patriotic celebration, Kantner said. These festive songs, few of which have any religious overtones, speak to family, the joy of the season, the joy of winter, and the need to care for one another. It's a long list, a list that includes many of the songs most Americans think of as Christmas standards. Among the many are Let It Snow, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, Silver Bells, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, Sleigh Ride, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Holly Jolly Christmas, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and Rockin' Round the Christmas Tree, and The Christmas Song. Let's explore three. Sammy Kahn and Jules Stein, Let It Snow, George Weil and Eddie Pola's It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, and Mel Torme and Robert Wells's The Christmas Song, better known as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. You might be surprised to learn that two of them were written during a Southern California heat wave. Jules Stein grew up in Chicago. He teamed up with Lower East Side New Yorker Samuel Cohen, known professionally as Sammy Kahn, to write Let It Snow. Stein and Kahn were well-established Hollywood luminaries when they wrote Let It Snow. They won the Academy Award in 1954 for Three Coins in the Fountain. Multiple sources tell the legend that trying to imagine cooler conditions, they wrote Let It Snow in 1945 during a Hollywood heat wave. The song begins... Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Let it snow, let it snow. Which was not a celebration of snow, but a plea to the weather gods to turn off the heat. The song's lyrics also have a certain pre-1960s innocence as they sing of goodnight kisses, parting for the night, and popping corn. 
Part, I think, of the charm of Christmas music is just that, a recapturing, if only for the brief length of the tune, of recapturing that innocence America lost after the cultural convolutions of the 1960s. Let it snow's lyrics sing. Also wrote the theme for Gilligan's Island, and Eddie Pola wrote, It's the most wonderful time of the year for the first Andy Williams Christmas album, which Williams then sang on his variety TV show, The Andy Williams Show. It has become a Christmas classic. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids single belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer 
By now you have noted that almost all popular Christmas songs actually have very little to say about the religious nature of the holiday. To be sure, there are great religious Christmas carols, but most popular Christmas songs sing of cultural themes. They sing of the season. They sing of family. They sing of Christmas trees. They sing of Santa. They sing of gift-giving and lovers snuggling. And they sing of winter. Why winter? How did winter become so associated with Christmas where it rarely snows at the scene of Christ's nativity? The answer is complicated and, for Americans, has to do with the post-Civil War attempt to create the American way of Christmas. It was a movement driven by the victorious Union to refashion a common culture. Northerners drove that movement, particularly New Englanders. It was their experience and their vision of Christmas that became the American way of Christmas. In New England, in December, it snows. Hence, sleighs and snowmen became key Christmas symbols. If one song has come to define the perfect snowbound, homebound Christmas, it's Robert Wells and Mel Torme's The Christmas Song, known most often as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. It also was written during that same 1945 Southern California heat wave as Let It Snow. Torme tells of finding Wells at the piano writing down wintry notes, trying to think himself cool from the heat outside. They began to bounce the words around, landed on a melody, and, so Torme recounts, wrote the song in about 40 minutes. Nicknamed the Velvet Fog, Torme is probably best known to Gen Xers and those younger as the obsession of the judge on the old sitcom Night Court. But he was one of the great jazz singers of his era, stretching from the 1940s to the 1990s. The son of a Polish-Jewish immigrant father, Torme grew up in Chicago 
performing professionally for the first time when only four years old, he had a long career in films, radio, TV, and, of course, recordings in nightclubs. The definitive version of the Christmas song was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be Nat King Cole's. First recorded by the Nat King Cole Trio in 1946, it was the first holiday standard sung by a black American. On just about all tabulations of the most played, most requested, most sold Christmas songs, the Christmas song comes in first in no worse than the top three. It has come to define the American way of Christmas. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight they know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said many times, many ways Merry Christmas to From one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To Have you ever felt harried? juggling all the preparations to make the season festive? Have you ever felt annoyed at the unrelenting good cheer? Have you ever felt the need to stifle your inner Grinch, to step back, 
not take this holiday thing so seriously, and to just laugh. You're not alone. There is an entire catalog of alternative Christmas carols and songs, ranging from the whimsical Frosty the Snowman, to the slyly insinuating I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus, to the irreverent Grandma got run over by a reindeer, with multiple stops along the sleigh-slick way. For instance, Kenan Thompson's Saturday Night Live's Something Clause for those whose name might make Santa's naughty list, or Community's 2011 Baby Boomer Santa, which gives a Christmas spin to the OK Boomer baloney in which millennials mock Granny and Gramps' self-absorbed pretensions. There are lists of just about every kind of Christmas song, so here are three mini-lists of the slyly suggestive, the cynically sassy, and the traditional whimsically pleasing. As the 20th century unfolded, Christmas songs increasingly celebrated the wintry season, family, friends, and lovers. Or, if not lovers, then those with whom one cavorted. As we have already heard, one of the earliest was Jingle Bells, which, when compared to Esther Williams and Ricardo Montalban's 1950 duet, Baby, It's Cold Outside, Eartha Kitt's 1953 version of Joan Javits and Phil Springer's Santa Baby, Lady Gaga's 2008 Christmas Tree, well, compared to those, Jingle Bells seems very innocent. Bridging the divide between Jingle Bells and the others is 1952's I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, which, although teasing adultery, is really an inside joke reinforcing conventionality. One Christmas tune is currently caught up in a controversy about sexual harassment, if not date rape, with many adult contemporary radio stations banning it. Frank Lesser's 1944, Baby It's Cold Outside, first gained fame in 1949's Esther Williams' aqua musical, Neptune's Daughter. It won 1949's Oscar for Best Song. The song is a call-and-response duet in which one singer responds to a statement or request by another. In Baby It's Cold Outside, a male singer tries to convince a female singer that she should stay at his place for the night because... because it's cold outside, but she thinks she should leave. In Neptune's Daughter, it was sung by Ricardo Montalban and Esther Williams, but it was then immediately flipped when Red Skelton and Betty Garnett did a comic bit in which it was the man who wants to leave and the woman who wants him to stay. Its second stanza sings, keep in mind the first line is the woman, then the man responds or vice versa. This evening has been, been hoping that you so very nice. I'll hold your hands, they're just like My ice. Mother will start to Beautiful. worry. What's your and hurry? father will be pacing the just floor. Listen to the fireplace. So roar. really, I'd better scurry. Please well, maybe just a half a drink. Put more. some records on while I The pour. neighbors might think. Baby, it's bad out there. Hey. What's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew your how eyes are like starlight to now. break the spell. I'll take your hat. Say your hair looks swell. All the same, no, no, your no, mind sir. If I'm moving, At least I'm gonna say that I tried. Now watch the sense of hurting my pride. I really can't oh, stay. Oh, baby, don't hold out. Oh, but it's cold outside. Simply 
that you Take a look at that storm. Sister will be suspicious. Gosh, your lips look delicious. Brother will be there at the door. Waves upon a tropical My shore. My maiden aunt's mind is vicious. You know your lips are delicious. Maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a blizzard before. I gotta get home. Maybe you'll freeze out there. Say, lend me your car. It's up to your knees. Up You've there. really been grand. I thrill when you touch but my hand. But don't you see? How can you do this thing There's to me? There's bound to be talk tomorrow. Think of my lifelong At sorrow. least there will be plenty in plot. If you're caught pneumonia and I, I really can't get stay. over that old doubt. Ah, oh, but it's cold. As Time magazine reported in a June 1949 issue, the song was controversial from the beginning, noting queasy NBC first banned the lyrics as too racy, then decided, since they contained nothing provably off-color, and put the tune on the air. It became a hit, and Time later named it one of the 100 best songs of all time. Today, the song's lyrics have come under attack as condoning sexual harassment, to which one can have two reactions, yes and no. Yes, The lyrics are, as the saying goes, what they are, but no, there is no suggestion in the lyrics that the besot, whether female or male, couldn't just leave. John Legend updated the lyrics for a 2019 duet with Kelly Clarkson. They sing, What will my friends think? Clarkson asks, I think they should rejoice. Legend replies, If I have one more drink, she asks, It's your body and your choice, he sings. Besides the fact the lyrics sound like cardboard feels, It's not exactly Ray Charles and Betty Carter, or, for that matter, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Granted, the original lyrics can sound whiny, if not a bit creepy, but one needs to remember, as Chris Willman said in Variety, that the song can also be a feminist tract, for it's the besot, female or male, who is in control. Willman also points out that the song can be heard as a comic, mildly satiric riff on the entire seduction genre. Well, baby, it's cold outside to the side. On a far tamer note, much of this holiday double entendre banter, well, all of that began with I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, in which a young boy, sneaking down the stairs on Christmas Eve, finds Mommy smooching with Santa under the mistletoe. He's confused, doesn't know whether to tell Daddy or not, so he tells his teddy bear. Actually written by an Englishman, the song found its greatest success when young American singer Jimmy Boyd's 1952 version climbed the holiday pop charts. The song's charm came from the child's point of view. As we all know, it was a case of mistaken identity for, of course, the Santa mommy kissed was daddy. Here's Jimmy Boyd. She didn't see me creep down the stairs to have a peep. 
you thought that I was tucked up in my bedroom fast asleep. Then I saw Mommy tickle Santa Claus underneath his beard so snowy white. What a laugh it would have been if Daddy had only seen Mommy kissing Santa Claus last night. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus underneath the mistletoe last night. She didn't see me creep down the stairs. Snowy white